very pleasant good evening, everyone. It's Monday night, the week of 4th of July. We're halfway through the Major League Baseball season, and a team that you wouldn't expect out of Ohio is in first place at this point in the Major League Baseball season. Good evening. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. We're going to kick back and talk about the first place Cleveland Indians and the third place Cincinnati Reds, and we're going to bring in our Reds resident expert, easy for everybody else to say but me tonight, evidently, Mark Donahue. Mark, good evening. You know, Dave, it's it's good news, bad news when you make a prediction, and unfortunately, the team that you made the prediction on lives up to expectations. At the beginning of the year, I had the Reds third in the Central Division, and uh, they have a, a firm grip on third, unfortunately. And we'll talk about a little later, but I don't think it's going to get much better unless the Reds can uh, acquire some more some more hitting. Well, I'll tell you, Mark, this has been one interesting week. And before we get into baseball, I've got to do a little public service announcement here. My computer crashed this weekend, and so everybody knows out there, uh, my nephew is getting married this weekend, and my mother asked me to take care of the music. Well, Mark, let me tell you, one of the songs that she requested for this weekend was the chicken dance. (laughs) So when I went searching for the chicken dance online, I found it, of course. I Googled it, found it, clicked on the chicken dance, and immediately what came up on my browser was the chicken ranch. (laughs) Now... Imagine my surprise, and if anybody would have been here looking at me, they would have seen it, because immediately my webcam pops on. It takes a picture of me going, oh, crap, and a big screen comes on my computer saying, FBI has caught you in a criminal activity, put $200 into a money pack card, and will release your laptop. Well... Immediately knew I knew that I was in deep trouble because that virus, I'll tell you, Mark, if you ever get that FBI virus, it just attaches to your computer system and it just eats away at it. And I eventually just had to go ahead and reformat my entire uh, hard drive on my laptop. So, unfortunately, I have pretty much lost everything with the exception of the material I put together to argue with you tonight on Mariano Rivera. Well, and obviously, given the fact that you're operating from a a position that is erroneous as it relates to him, you needed all the information you could get. So uh, I'm sorry you lost it because you, you need that to enforce a very weak argument. Well, just word to the wise, anybody who ever goes looking for the chicken dance, be prepared for the chicken ranch and the FBI to come knocking at your door. But nonetheless, that was my weekend. This is the halfway point of the baseball season, and Mark and I are going to go through our awards for both teams, the Reds and the Indians. And, Mark, i got to tell you, before we get into everything, like I said at the top of the show, one of the teams, the Indians, are in first place as we hit July 1st. And I think if you would have polled either one of us and probably a lot of our listeners, if you would have asked which team at July 1st is going to be in first place, the Reds or the Indians, Probably 90% would have said the Reds. Yeah, I think so. And it's unfortunate for the Reds, <clears throat> as they were talking about the game tonight. The Reds are ahead 8-1 to one right now. 
over the Giants, but the Reds are playing in a pretty tough division, uh, and they would they would be it, with their record they would be in first place in just about every other division in baseball. But uh, Pittsburgh refuses to lose; they may not lose again the rest of the year, and the Cardinals are being the Cardinals. Now I think the Reds still have a five and a half game lead, at least they did over the weekend uh, in that wild, second wild card position. But uh, you know the Indians. I, I think they have to be considered the surprise of baseball right now. I don't think anybody expected them to be where they are. And in that division, it, it's pretty amazing. Uh, they have an opportunity uh, to, to really compete with, with Detroit. And, you know, if Verlander doesn't come back strong in the second half, I, I think the Indians have a real shot. Yeah, I would agree with you. I'll tell you what, the Indians right now are 44 and 38, and thanks to the Tigers' 8 to 3 loss this afternoon in Toronto on Canada Day, uh, the Indians are now a half a game ahead of Detroit, and these two teams are playing this weekend, Mark. It's a four game set in Cleveland, and I would be extremely disappointed if in Cleveland this weekend they draw, don't draw over a hundred and let's say a hundred and thirty thousand for that four game set with Detroit. They've got to come out in droves <laughs> for this series. Well, if, if you're a fan, it's what you clamor about all year. You want to be, you know, on July fourth, you want to be in a position where your team is competitive. And everybody knows, back in the nineties, the Indians fans came out in droves to support that team, and, and, and granted, part of it was because of the new stadium and, and all that, but that, that was a good team, and they supported a good team, and I would, like you, I'd be really disappointed if uh, if they don't bring out at least 35,000 people, or 38,000 per game. I mean, they should. That's, that's going to be an exciting series. Okay, the first question I've got for you tonight is how does Major League Baseball schedule their games? And the reason I ask you this is because the Indians were rained out in Chicago earlier in April. So they scheduled a doubleheader for Friday. So they schedule a, a, a regular twinite doubleheader, starts at 5 o'clock in Chicago. They play a twinite doubleheader. The first game between the Indians and the White Sox goes 19-10. to 10. The second one, the Indians win 9-8. to 8. They play until almost 2 o'clock in the morning. They get up the next day and play an afternoon game at 4 o'clock, and then they play again an afternoon game on Sunday at 2 o'clock, and both teams have the day off today. Why didn't they schedule a Sunday doubleheader? Oh, because the, the Indians, or the Indians, the, um, the unions don't want that. They, they abhor doubleheaders. The teams don't like it because they, they don't draw as well, typically, for a doubleheader. And... So unless there is a scheduling, something mandatory in the scheduling where you have to get it in, they don't want to play a doubleheader. Well, so, that's you know, why I was asking. Why did they schedule it on Friday? Why didn't they do it on Sunday? Oh, who knows? I mean, it's, it's a <laughs> well, first, well, I'll tell you, I think I figured out why. Uh, if there's going to be another rain out, you want it to be later in the series. So in other words, if they would have played – on a single game Friday, a single game Saturday, and then there's a rain out on Sunday, you lose two games. If there had been a rain out on Friday, they could have made it up with two doubleheaders on Saturday and Sunday. That's the best reason I've heard so far. Yep, that, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. All right, I'll, I'll accept that until we get to the Rivera argument later on in the Ask Us show. Hey, the Indians were 6-2 and two this week, Mark. 
And on this nine-game road trip where I said last week I'd be happy if they went five and four, they're already six and two, and they've got three games coming up this week. They've got tonight off. They've got three games at Kansas City uh, tomorrow night, Wednesday night, and Thursday afternoon. So, like I said, the Indians are playing some great baseball, and even with that eight-game losing streak that they had in June, Mark, they still finished the month of June above 500 at 14 and 13. Well, we've said all along that in that division, and, you know, every year, I think you and I do this every year, too, uh, we think Kansas City is going to be, you know, it's going to be their year, and it's never their year. <laughs> but Detroit, people forget last year at this time, Detroit, uh, I think they were in third, third or fourth place last year at this time. They got off to a terrible start, and they were uh, really lagging behind in the Central until late August, early September, where they got hot and won the division. But Cleveland has a real chance to win it, and it's not with smoke and mirrors. I don't think the central division of the American League is nearly the best division in baseball, but it's not the worst either. So the Indians are a solid team, and I hope what your your fear is, if people aren't going to show up, I think they're going to show up. I mean, the, the people in Cleveland are good baseball fans, they know a good team when they see one, and the Indians have a chance to win it this year. Yeah, I agree with you. I think they're going to come out this weekend also, especially, you know, being the 4th of July weekend. I think they're going to have a good crowd this weekend. But the Reds, on the other hand, they had a tough week, Mark. They, they were 1-4 and four on the week. They're 46-36 and 36 overall. They're now five and a half games behind Pittsburgh and third. <laughs> and I guess I'm going to ask you this question this way. Which is more surprising to you? Is it Pittsburgh and the way that they're playing right now, or is it the Reds and the way that they're playing right now? Uh, I think it's the Reds, the way they're playing. I thought all along Pittsburgh was going to be tough. Uh, they, they had good pitching going into the season. My question about the Pirates was, were they going to hit enough? I knew they would uh, have some trouble scoring, but with that pitching staff, you don't have to lead the league in hitting. And they've got a lot of timely hitting. Uh, they're, they're hitting big home runs when they have to hit them. But that bullpen is a lockdown bullpen. And the, the Reds just have a, a heck of a time trying to keep up with them because of, of where Cleveland is, I'm sorry, Pittsburgh, is, is just playing better baseball than everybody else in baseball. Okay, Johnny Cueto, what is going on with, with him right now? Well, Cueto, I don't know if it's his delivery, uh, if it's the fact he's not training well or training hard. The way I understand it, he trains harder than anybody in baseball, or at least in anybody with the Red Staff, so it's hard to believe it's that. But they say it's a lat, but it, it's going up into his, his lower shoulder from the lat where it connects to the shoulder at the bottom. Now, everybody maintains that it's not his Louis Tiant move that's causing this. But he has been on the disabled list four times in his last ten starts. Something physical or the physicality of his delivery is causing a problem. Now, it's up to Price and Dusty Baker, uh, Brian Price, the pitching coach, to address that. And if you have to make a change, make a change. I mean, he, he just adopted that move I think two years ago and he you know he was a pretty good pitcher before that but uh, there's something amiss and 
I tried the other day just for fun. Uh, I pitched, and uh, my my normal rotation, my normal move is a more direct. I was a right-hander, and I, and I threw overhand and all that stuff. But I tried that twerking move just to see what it felt like to me. Now, I haven't pitched for a while, but I can tell you it not only has an effect on your side, it has an effect on your knee. And you can't make that kind of violent movement 150 times a day when you're pitching, including warm-ups, and not have it have some effect on your body. So I hope the Reds finally go to him and say, look, whatever you're doing, stop it. Let, let's adjust this, this wind-up motion and, and get you back to the point that we can depend on you every fourth day. Well, and let's talk about that because Louis Tiant did it his entire life. You're saying Cueto uh, has only done it over the last couple of years. What prompted him to go to this? I don't know. I, you know it's, it's a very good question. I don't know what prompted it. But don't forget, Louis Tiant never threw the ball as hard as, as, as Cueto does. Cueto is, I don't know if you've ever seen Johnny Cueto up front. He is, he reminds me of Cologne. Uh, when he was with the Indians, uh, just a bull of a guy. I mean, he's got huge legs. He's got a big butt. Mm -hmm. He's very strong, very powerful. And he's only 5'11", I think. You know, he, he, he's not a very big guy. But he, he develops a tremendous amount of power off that, off that mound. And that, that turning rotation that he has, that Tion stuff, uh, you know, that, that to me, it, it's, I don't know what else it could be. So Occam's or Occam's razor, where the most logical thing is is the thing. Uh, to me, it, it has to be that. And again, Louis Tiant never threw 95, 96 miles an hour like like Quayter does. He was he was like a almost a Bronson Arroyo type guy. But you know, he could come in with an 89 or 88 mile an hour fastball, but completely different pitcher. And I don't think he put nearly the, the torque on his body that Quayter does. Well, and I mean, what, the last start Cueto made, I forget when it was. What was it, Thursday or Friday when they, they pulled him? I think it was after only 10 pitches? Well, it was in the second inning. It was after 29 pitches, actually. It was in the second okay. inning, and it was Friday night. And that was the first. I've seen him hurt every time. He's pitched, unfortunately. And this one hurt. You could tell by the delivery. I mean, he, he went, ow, as he, as he made his turn toward first base after the pitch. And uh, he, he was in he was in serious pain. So they've got to do something. You can't have your number one pitcher go out. This is the third time he's been on the DL. We're, we're not even half, you know, we're not even to the All Star break yet. So if the Reds are going to compete, they have to have a healthy Johnny Cueto. And I don't see him being healthy for a while. Well, we talk about Johnny Cueto and his problems. I want to bring up the Indians and one of their pitchers, Trevor Bauer. Uh, who they brought up on Friday to pitch the first game of the doubleheader against the White Sox. Now, this is the fourth time that he's been brought up to pitch a game. But, Mark, what was amazing in this one, not only to me but to a lot of other people, was he started the game in the stretch. The very first batter he starts the game in the stretch. Now, evidently he's gotten into this habit down in Columbus because he just feels more comfortable pitching out of the stretch than he does out of the windup. We're starting to see the concerns that not only Arizona but the owner and a lot of other people out in Arizona had and the reason that they traded him. This guy's got a million-dollar arm and what appears to be about a 10-cent head. Why would you start a game 
out of the stretch. You got me. Although a lot of pitchers, I mean, I'm just trying to think who the other night. Oh, it was uh, uh, Hugh Darvish for Texas. Uh, he has an abbreviated windup that one could say looks like he's pitching from the stretch. He doesn't have that. And, and very few pitchers today have what you and I used to call a windup. They, they take a step back and, and they throw. So I don't know. Maybe he believes he's, he can control his pitches better out of the stretch. But has he been pitching out of the bullpen? No. He's been a starter the whole time. He hasn't come out of the bullpen yet this year, even in Columbus. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe if he was doing some bullpen work in the minors to work on his stuff, maybe that's an explanation. But uh, it's just a matter, how's he throwing? Not good. He, he, I'll tell you, Mark, he's got a problem, and it's between the ears. It's not in his arm. He's got a live arm. His ball moves all over the place. He's just got a problem between the ears where he just won't listen to anyone. He's got his own ideas on how he's going to pitch and how he's going to do things, and it's starting to become apparent why Arizona got fed up with him very very quickly. Well, he's the kind of kid that uh, you know needs the, the the mentoring of a senior guy on that staff in Cleveland, and I don't know who that would be. That's a relatively young staff. But typically, there'll be somebody, even on another team, that will pull him aside and say, look, you idiot, you're, you're going to pitch yourself out of this league if you don't start doing this. And hopefully somebody can reach this kid because I saw him pitch last year for Arizona. And, you know, he's got lightning in that arm. He really does. And it would be a shame not to have somebody reach him and, and turn that kid around because he's got all the physical talent you need. Yeah, I would hate to see him blow it, too, but uh, somebody's got to be able to get through to this kid. Hey, Mark, two players I want to particularly focus on tonight, one on each team, and let's start with the Reds. Jay Bruce in June just clobbered the baseball. 294 batting average, 10 homers, and 21 RBIs. He's really come around. And he's got two hits tonight. he got a single and a double, and he's... He's, you know what he's doing? He's not trying to pull everything. And I don't know if it's because he may be going through that stage where I, I call it getting naturally strong. You can pump up when you're a kid and you can lift weights and you get strong and your bat speed's good. But there's something to be said about a guy who, you know, he's 28, 32, 35 years old, whatever it is. They get naturally strong and they don't have to load up to hit a ball 450 feet. This this month, I've seen Jay Bruce hit balls 450, 470 feet, and when he swings, it looks like it's going to be a fly ball to center field, and the ball just erupts off his bat. He is getting very strong, and it's interesting when you compare him now to Joey Votto. Uh, he, he's stronger than Joey Votto, and Joey Votto is a pretty strong dude, but I think Joey Votto is still suffering the the setback from last year on that knee surgery. I'm not sure he's 100% back yet. But I'll tell you, Jay Bruce, if he can hit 275, 285, he's going to hit you 45 home runs and drive in 110 runs for a long time. He's he's that kind of stupid strong. And uh, right now he's hitting with confidence. He's going to left field. He's not trying to pull everything. And people forget he's only 25 years old. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. He, he's a young man. And... 
Uh, he's already been up six years, and people forget that they think he's 30, 35 years old. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I've told you this before. It was It's a pleasure. Well, at least Saturday night it was a pleasure to actually be taking my mind off something that had to do, unlike with my computer, but to listen to Tom Brenneman do a baseball game. And he was doing the Fox game, and we had the Reds up here on Saturday night. And the one stat that, that they put up on the, the broadcast was that in the first, I believe it was 34 games, Jay Bruce had hit one home run, and in the last uh, 43 or 44 ball games, he's hit 17. Well, that's going to lead me to a, a soapbox statement here about the Reds. Uh, if Jay Bruce had somebody hitting behind him, and I will throw out a name, a Giancarlo Stanton, if they had a Stanton hitting behind Jay Bruce, Jay Bruce would hit 50, 55 home runs. Jay Bruce is at, has nobody hitting behind him, and he's still doing this. And he's hitting fifth in the lineup. And the, the Reds have to do something to bring in some right-handed power uh, onto this team to play left field. And I saw an article today by a blogger, I, I forget from where, but they said that the Reds have sniffed around Stanton. And uh, I, I don't know how much they have to... Be sh- how many more times they have to be shut out or shut down to realize they they need another bat. They need a bat badly. And they've got, I mean, and he's only $7 million a year for the next two years, so it's not a money issue. The Reds have to go out and get another bat, and I would love to see what Stanton would do the, to that lineup. And particularly, I'd love to see what he would do with Jay Bruce. <clears throat> well, and, and another thing they brought up was the fact that when Phillips was hit against Pittsburgh, in the forearm, he's really had a tough time at the plate. And in June, he batted only 209. But when I was looking at the stats, Mark, what I found still outstanding for Phillips is the fact that not only did he hit 209, which isn't good, but he still drove in 17 runs in the month. So he's still doing his job as the cleanup hitter. Yeah, he has a couple hits tonight. And, and Marty Brenneman said earlier today that it appears that he's getting his his swing back. He, and he does the same thing that Jay Bruce does. When those guys go into funks, it's because they, they do go on a power surge, and then they start pulling everything. And what makes Brandon Phillips such an effective hitter when he's hot is he goes to right field, and particularly right center field. He just he, he has the ability to push it over there with power. But then he'll hit a couple home runs, and he gets homer happy. And the same with Jay Bruce. You know, Jay Bruce hasn't hit a home run now in, in what, a week or ten days. But he'll, he'll go through these unbelievable spurts where he'll hit home runs in the bunches, and then he tries to yank everything and it messes up his swing. But you've got two guys there that, that, are, that are young and can be around for a, a long time, and I just hope the Reds don't, don't miss out on this era that they have building right now where you've got young, talented players. If they just go out and get one more or, or, or two more, they're going to be assuring themselves of the playoffs for the next four or five years. Well, and and I want to get into one more thing about the Reds before we move over to this player on the Indians. You know, Mike Leake had three wins in June, which led the staff, Mark Latos, although may have pitched the best baseball for him, and he had two wins. But over the last week when they've only gone uh, two and – or one and four, I should say, it seems like the starting pitching has been troubling. Is that the case? Well, <clears throat> they had one bad outing, uh, but yesterday Latos pitched a great game, gave up only two earned runs. Uh, 
Uh, Leak, I think the night before, gave up only one earned run. Uh, and on Friday night, I've forgotten now the score on Friday night, but I think they got hammered. But Homer Bailey is the guy who's been really the weak, weak link in that, uh, in that rotation. And uh, I tell you what, if I had my choice, if I had to make a trade uh, and I had to get rid of one starting pitcher to get a big bat, it would be Bailey. Because I think Singrani has a higher upside than Bailey does. And I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. I mean, Homer Bailey's got all the talent in the world. But uh, he's never been able to put it together and have a big year. He's had great series or runs of, of wins, but consistently he's not been there. So, you know, I, I think the Reds uh, have, have a lot to do if they're going to get back in this race, but they're five and a half back, and uh, that the, the the roster they have now is not the roster that is, is capable of winning this division. Well, what do you think that the Marlins would want for Giancarlo Stanton besides the entire team in the minors down at Louisville? Well, it's, it's interesting. Uh, today, the, the article I read said that apparently they went after uh, Billy Hamilton, they went after Robert Stevenson, and I forgot the third player now they went after in the minors. It could have been Corsini. Uh, and the Reds said no to all those three, but the article was quick to point out that the Reds have a lot of other talent besides those three that you could, you know, in the lower minors, guys that are really playing very, very well, that you could, uh, you know, put together a, a trade with the Marlins and bring them four or five guys from the minor leagues that could are, are legitimate ball players. I mean, right now the Marlins, they don't need major league ready players. I mean, that's why they get rid of Stanton. They don't need him. They're going to be in last place no matter what. So what you want to do is get three or four studs in a trade. And the question is, do the Reds want to risk what I think, a, a, a trade which I think, like the one they made for Chu, which in my opinion is not going to be a good deal. I mean, Gregorius, I, I think he is going to be an outstanding shortstop. And, uh, you know, Chu has really slowed down. He's sitting in the low 260s now. He's absolutely helpless against left-handers. And you, you gave away a lot to get Chu, and I, I hope the Reds don't get into this habit of giving up a lot of talent, uh, you know, and, and emptying the shelves because they they did it the year before when they traded four players for Matt Latos. Now Latos has been lights out, but uh, you run the risk of depleting your system if you don't make a wise trade when you're looking for that one or two players that can get you over the top. Well, let's move over to the Indians, and the player I wanted to bring up tonight was Jason Kipnis, who not only is the American League Player of the Week, but he's probably going to be the Player of the Month. Mark, he hit 420 in the month of June, had four homers, 25 RBIs, and was 9 for 9 in stolen bases. This kid has really come into his own and playing some outstanding <laughs> second base, and I know yesterday in the, the final game against the White Sox in the final game in June, Terry Francona sat him for that game, and I think he wanted to be out there. You know, it's funny. When I saw the Indians play the Reds, the thing I noticed most about Kipnis, and he was not he was not as hot then as he is now, but I kept thinking, boy, what a quick bat. What a quick bat this kid has. He, he's quick, and he's short to the ball. You know, he has a, he, for his size, he's got a lot of power, a lot of pop. 
but he squared the ball a lot in that series against those four games against the Reds. He he was just you know right on. Even if he didn't get a hit, he, you know you can tell a guy he might go two for eight in the series or, or, or two for twelve even in the series, but you know he hits line drives and he's hitting sharp ground balls and they just didn't get through. But uh, I really like his his physical makeup and he seems to be a kid. Uh, unlike Trevor Bauer, who's got a pretty good head on his shoulders as well. Yeah, he he's got he's grounded. He's really hitting the ball well. Matter of fact, what's really ironic, Mark, is they started the season with him hitting third and Cabrera second, and with Kipnis not hitting, they flip flopped him and went with Cabrera. And then when Cabrera got hurt, they moved Kipnis back into the third spot. And now they're back to the original lineup they had with Kipnis batting third and Cabrera second, and it gives them, with when Bourne's in the lineup, a left-handed hitter leading off, a switch hitter batting second, a left-handed hitter batting third, and then a switch hitter in Swisher batting cleanup. And then you've got Santana batting fifth, who's also a switch hitter. So really an opposing manager can't bring in and play the lefty-righty against any of those guys because he's in trouble. They've got so many switch hitters in that top five. You know, the only weakness I see, and again, I'm talking in the context of the Indians not only getting to the playoffs, but getting deep into the playoffs. Number one, I think they need another starter at, at, the, at least the middle of the rotation. And, you know, I'm just wondering if Cliff Lee would ever make a reappearance with Cleveland because he, he might be the, the, the difference maker for Cleveland. But secondly, I think they need a true number four hitter. And I don't think it's Swisher. I like Swisher, but I like him number two. I like him number six. I don't see him as four or five, and I don't see him as one or, you know, number one or three. But I, I think he's miscast at number four. Uh, I, I just don't think he's that kind of power hitter. He's a good hitter, and I'd like him in a tough situation. But if the Indians were to pick up a legitimate number four hitter and go out and get another starter that they can put in the top of that rotation, I tell you, with that, with that lineup, they're going to score runs. And with the defense they've got, and the thing, the other thing I really love about the Indians that I hate about the Reds, the Indians have speed, and they run, and they take the extra base, and they, they can steal you a base. The Reds can't do that. Well, I'll tell you what, it, you're absolutely right. They need a number four hitter. I don't like Swisher there either, but he's doing about the best that he can. And it's funny you bring up Cliff Lee because they were talking about that on the radio today, and the one thing about Cliff Lee is he has got such an enormous contract that somebody is going to have to eat it's not so much this year, Mark, but it's the next two years where he's going to be making 25 and $26 million over the next two seasons individually alone. Uh, I, I can't see the Indians taking a bite on a contract like that. So I would say Cliff Lee's probably out. Maybe the Yankees, maybe the Red Sox, uh, but I don't think the Indians are going to take a bite out of him. But that doesn't mean that they can't go out and get – uh, a lower-level pitcher, maybe somebody like a Kyle Loesch or somebody like that that they looked at earlier in the spring. I could see them bringing in somebody like him. Well, I heard an interesting comment today. I, I don't know how accurate it was. It was kind of off the cuff. That, you know, Bronson Arroyo is in the last year of his contract, and he's making $14 million this year, and the Reds are not going to resign him, I'm, I'm quite certain, unless he takes a, a a big cut or he wants three years of $39 million, $13 million a year. That's not going to happen with the Reds, but you know the Reds. If they're if they're not going to be in this thing, uh, you know you can see them being a in the next two weeks. Whether they're going to be a buyer or seller is up in the air. I mean, this team is five and a half games out, 
and they have a shot for the for the wild card second wild card spot. But I, I don't see them winning the division. And I wonder if they were to get a an offer for 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 Bronson Arroyo, would they take it and just slide Singrani into that spot? Now this is assuming that Johnny Cueto is healthy. But it's going to be fun. I mean, with when the Indians and the Reds are both in it like they are now, the trade deadline becomes an exciting time of the year. You know, it's it really does because th- these teams have a chance to meet in the playoffs, and that would that'd be great. I mean, just you and I could really have some fun then. Oh, yeah, it, it, it's going to be fun. And what's going to be fun is Mark and I in our Ask Us segment coming up in, in just a couple of minutes, so stick around for that. We're going to continue our debate on Mariano Rivera from last week, plus we've got some other questions coming up, some buy and sell here from one of our listeners. We're going to do all that right after this timeout. In baseball news, Cincinnati called up their number one draft choice from this year's amateur draft. 18-year-old Dylan Michael spent less than a month in the team's minor league system where he hit a combined 406 with 12 home runs and 27 RBI. It's expected that Michael will start in center field tonight in Cincinnati's game against New York. Last at bat, a novel by Mark Donahue, available at Joseph A. Beth, Barnes & Noble, and Books and & Company. And you can also order Mark's book right here at ultimatesportstalk.com. Just go to the main page and order it there. Mark, before we get into our Ask Us segment tonight, um, after a tumultuous week uh, in New York where it seemed like Brian Cashman just wished that Alex Rodriguez would go hide and just shut up, for lack of a better terminology, A-Rod's been cleared to begin playing today after that off-season hip surgery. Good, bad, or indifferent about that? Well, I think it's pretty much indifferent. I, I wish... I'm sure the Yankees wish he would retire so they could get out of that contract. I don't know how much was it two years left on that contract. It's two or three. No, there's no, there's a, I think there's four years left on that contract. No, I thought it was two or three. Okay, well, it's even worse. <laughs> Talk about the worst contract of all time. <laughs> that has to be it. And the funny thing is, the fans in New York don't appear to miss him at all. Even if uh, if you're under the assumption he can help them on the field, I think most New Yorkers just don't get Alex Rodriguez and never did. And he's he convinced the owner of the Texas Rangers back in the day to give him a contract that is so so unbelievably overpaying him. Uh, you wonder what the guy was smoking when he made that decision to get, to do that deal. So uh, if he comes back. I, where are the Yankees going to play him if he comes back? DH. I, from what I've heard, he's going to he's going to play third. But I've also heard a story, Mark, that he is really getting scared about this uh, steroid scandal investigation and what Major League Baseball may or may not do to him. All, almost to the fact where I, I read the story last week that his plan could be to go to the minor leagues here this week and decide that his hip just is never going to recover and he could literally retire and not worry about that contract because then the Yankees would be able to invoke the insurance on that contract and they wouldn't be out, the insurance company would, and A-Rod would still get paid his money. Well, that's the kind of thing. I wonder, though, you know, if you're suspended from baseball, 
I, I guess it's only what for a hundred games for your second offense. Uh, then the, uh, nobody has to pay you anything. You know, you, you you don't get paid when you're suspended. Of course, that would only be for a hundred games if that's a second offense. But I don't think he was ever found guilty of anything. Just just a lot of innuendo and rumor with regard to Arod. Uh, so it's it's a sad situation where those guys in that era, Roger Clemens and others. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. The guy who is the uh, Who's who's your DH for the Indians? Yeah. Well, it's either Jason Giambi who yeah, does Giambi. it sometimes, or even Mark Reynolds. Well, you know, Giambi was accused of steroid use, and he admitted it, and it's all over. I mean, it's you know, his comment was, you know, I took something at the time that was not illegal. I stopped taking it. I shouldn't have done it, and life goes on. It's when you lie about it that you get in trouble. And that's what those other guys did. Now, it looks like Clemens beat the rap. I don't know if they're going to re, you know, charge him again. But uh, these guys, I think even uh, Andy Pettit admitted using it when he was on the DL. Yeah, he and, did. And Edinson Volquez did. And he admitted it. And, and nobody even talks about those guys. Well... That that the way I understood the story, Mark, on A Rod is is that if he would if he would uh, go down to the minors, play a few games, and decide to retire, there's nothing Major League Baseball could do to him because he would be retired. There would be no way they could suspend him because he's just out of baseball, and they couldn't stop the insurance company from paying him. So well, you know, that that's why that story's got a lot of legs to it. There may be another component to that too, because if he's not suspended, and he's not charged with anything, he hasn't broken any official rules. He could still make the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So, it, but he, which is crazy. Yeah, but he may be taking this very uh, in a calculating way, saying, "Look, if I go back and play, and then I'm suspended as an active player, that could prohibit me from being because then it's official. That could prohibit me from ever being eligible for the Hall of Fame or having the writers yeah. write in." And, and it, it probably would. Well, let's get into our Ask Us segment. And, of course, what started all the controversy last week was when Sandy asked us about how valuable is a closer. I just don't see that Perez has a lot of value since he's been on the DL. The Indians' record would have been about the same mm -hmm. with or without him. And, Mark, you know, Perez came back this weekend and he pitched well on Saturday. He pitched a 1-2-3 inning on Saturday. He also pitched a 1-2-3 inning on Friday in the first game to pick up saves in each one. And jokingly, I said to a couple people, you know, it's amazing uh, how much a couple of weeks off and getting off the pot will uh, <laughs> make make you pitch. And uh, Perez looked like a different person in those two games. Which means that he's not nearly as good as Rivera. <laughs> well, all right, let, let's take a look at this. Now, first of all, before we get into this, I want to specify what it is that I'm saying here. Because in, in re-listening to last week's broadcast, what I was trying to get across may not have been coming across. And that is, is that I am not disagreeing that Mariano Rivera may be the greatest reliever of all time. What I am saying is 
is that when you're talking about pitchers and the three that I'm going to use, or the, let's just use two right now, although I'm, I'm going to bring up three with this article that I found, Raleigh Fingers, Lee Smith, and Goose Gossage, you cannot discard them from this discussion just simply because they don't have the amount of saves that Mariano Rivera does. And, and I'll explain why. Now, go ahead and articulate what you're trying to get, get across. I think there's three things you look at when you look at a reliever. Their durability, their consistency, and their ability to perform in big games. Now, the, the sheer numbers of a save, I, I'll give you this, that I think the, the save, the, the closer position is way overrated in baseball. And I think those guys make way too much money. And most, you know, most saves are coming in when a game is four to two or three to one or whatever. And you're going to get a save because you get three outs. And a lot of guys will come in and get, give up a, a hit or two and still get three outs and get a save. So, you know, to me, that's not, that's not being dominant. My position is that there has been no pitcher in baseball that has been as dominant on a winning team as Mariano Rivera. He has, he has performed, no one can perform better than he has done, and that's statistically proven. In the playoffs, he's got the lowest ERA of any pitcher that's ever pitched in the playoffs. So he's pitched for a winner, he's pitched in close games his whole career, and he's absolutely been dominant. Lee Smith, when, when he was with the Cubs particularly, he, he was pitching for a lousy team most of the time, and Goose Gossage pitched for a lousy Yankee team. He did win in 77 and 78, or I guess he went to the World Series in those playoffs. But Goose Gossage was hittable. There was only three or four years where he was dominant. Raleigh Fingers, now I think he's the closest thing to Rivera because he played for a winning team, and he, during the time that he was out there, he was dominant. He, he, he controlled the American League. And so he, I think Smith and Gossage are not in the same league as those two, number one. But then I get back to how have you done in the biggest games? And nobody can touch Mariana. Well, as far as biggest games are concerned, if you want to say that Mariano Rivera is the – greatest reliever in postseason history, I would probably have to say, okay, yeah, I would agree with that. But calling him the greatest reliever overall in Major League Baseball history, I mean, I guess I would ask the question to you then, is Jim Tomey the greatest slugger in Major League Baseball history in the postseason? No. I, 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 but he's got the best stats of anybody. You, you can't compare the two, though. I mean, I, I'm talking about a guy who comes in and the game is on the line. And it's not on the line when you're a hitter. Uh, it, it, it's, it's comparing apples and oranges. When, when Rivera comes in, the stage is set for, for them to win a game. And more, I mean, by a huge amount. I think his ERA is 0 0.45 in, in the World Series and the, and the playoffs. Nobody can come close to that. So, okay, set that aside. Say, say that's an anomaly and it's, it's a, uh, you know, you can't prove your worth as a reliever in the postseason unless your team makes it to the postseason. I'll give you that. But the team, the Yankee teams that have made it to the postseason have been because of Rivera. He has been lights out. He, if you can get to the, the eighth or ninth inning with the lead and you're New York, you're going to go to the playoffs because this guy is going to lock him down with one, one pitch. He has, 
He has a cut fastball that moves about six inches in the last ten feet. And that's what makes him, to me, I don't think anybody you mentioned is even close to him. Raleigh Fingers. Give me the stats. Raleigh Fingers had a slider that, that moved more than, than that cutter. And here's an article that I found from September 22nd of 2011. It was Greg Couch who, who wrote this article. And I think it, it pretty much sums up what it is that uh, a lot of people are, are getting into as far as this. He's interviewing Goose Gossage. And the save rule, what, according to this article by Couch, he talks about how the save rule has really been around since 1969, and that included uh, almost all of Gossage's, Fingers, Suter's, Sparky Lyle, Dan Quisenberry, and Lee Smith's careers. Okay, now when you talk about Rivera and try to compare him, he actually does this. He goes, here's the numbers. Rivera has had 291 saves in which he pitched one inning. Entering a game with no one on base and a three-run lead, which he did has done through 2011, 129 times, or a two-run lead, 161 times. That that accounted for almost half of the saves that he had at that time. For for Gossage, Gossage saved 52 games in his career, on which he recorded seven outs or more to get that save. How many times did Rivera do that? Once, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's a. It was a different game twenty five years ago. That's absolutely have... right. But you cannot compare what Mariano Rivera has done and say that he's the greatest reliever of all time just because of the amount of saves in the regular season when these guys didn't have. For example, Raleigh Fingers. He pitched. Uh, let, let's take a look at the uh, at the game's pitch. They're almost identical between Rivera and Fingers. The most that Raleigh Fingers ever pitched in a single season was 76, and that was back in 1974. But the innings, he pitched over 100 innings, Mark, in 10 seasons of his career. Mariano Rivera has never pitched more than 80 innings twice in his career. Only twice. Yeah, I don't know how that is making your point. Mariano Rivera has a career ERA of 2.06. Raleigh Fingers had 2.83. Dennis Eckersley, 2.85. Exactly, mean, because Raleigh Fingers had to pitch more innings than Mariano Rivera did and had to face more hitters in order to get the amount of saves that he has, which... Um, where is this? At? Right here. He had he had 634 saves. Oh, that's Mariano Rivera. He had um, Raleigh Fingers had five, uh, 341 saves in his career. <laughs> and and you're, he has half as many saves. He has an ERA of six tenths of a run uh, higher. And you're saying he is as good as Rivera. I'm saying he might even be better because oh, of the geez. saves that he had, Mark. He had to pitch more innings to get those saves than Mariano Rivera did, and he had to face more batters to get those saves. That that, that is, I just don't think that's a valid argument. Uh, when <laughs> he's only blown sixty-five saves in his entire career, Gossage blew ninety-seven saves, Suter blew ninety saves, and those guys. <laughs> I mean, he he's pitched. 
in as many games. He has fewer saves, lower ERA, more saves, fewer blown saves. How, how else, I mean, how else can you measure his greatness than just looking at the numbers? Forget the, sub, the subjective part of being in the playoffs, and I'll, I'll, I'll concede that that is, is an unusual statistic, but everything about him statistically proves without any question that he's the greatest. The only argument you have is that 40 years ago, things were different, and you didn't have an eighth-inning guy. You didn't have a seventh-inning guy. You had a guy who came in out of the bullpen, and he might pitch to six batters instead of three. That, that's your argument. And I just don't think no, that... My argument is, is that they actually had to face nine batters to get the... They had to make nine very, outs to get a save. No, that's not true. Very few... No, it is true. That you had, in order to get a save back in the 70s and 80s, Mark, you had to pitch from the seventh inning on. You had to record nine outs. Are you sure about that? Yes. You you are? Yes. Because I don't think that's true. But if, I, if you say it's true, I'll believe you. But I don't think that's true. I don't think that's a that's an accurate statistic. I'll well, give it I think you, we've I think sure. we've beat this dead horse about as much as we can, and it's time to, for us to get into uh, some of what the fans want to hear, which is what our awards are through the midway point of the season. So I think we'll just move along on on this argument because neither one of us are going to change our minds. Go ahead. So it's the halfway point of the the season, Mark. Who's your most valuable player for the Reds? Well, it's a tough question because everybody's underperforming. But I, I would say it would have to be uh, Mike Leake for the, on the pitching side, and on the hitting side, Joey Votto. Joey, uh, you know, Joey Votto has continued to. He's hitting th- almost three thirty. He's hit fifteen home runs. He's driven in almost forty runs. Uh, he's the guy, and he's still the guy. Jay Bruce had a great year, but uh, you know, Joey Votto gets pitched around more than any hitter in baseball, and he's still putting up great numbers. But I think on the pitching side, Mike Leake has been a tremendous surprise, 2.58 ERA, and uh, he, he's been in every game he's pitched this year. How about the Indians? So you just, you just jumped ahead, and, and the Cy Young Award winner for the Reds would be Mike Leake? Yeah, I think he's, the, so far, without question, he's, he's the guy. Well, the MVP, I think, on the Indians, I think it's fairly easy to pick this one, is Jason Kipnis. This guy has just played some outstanding baseball. I mean, the first three weeks of the season, uh, he had people wondering why he was even on the team, and maybe it was time for him to go back to Columbus. But again, Terry Francona's patience has proven to be uh, warranted, and Jason Kipnis, I think, is the MVP of the Indians so far. The Cy Young Award winner for the Indians, I'd have to say, without a doubt, is Justin Masterson. He's proven to be the number one pitcher that they have looked for throughout the last couple of years, and he proved it yesterday, especially when he threw 120 pitches and shut out the White Sox for the second uh, time this season. Who do you see as the most improved Cincinnati Red this year through the first half, Mark? Well, that's that's a very interesting question because right now the Reds don't have anybody that's improved over last year. Uh, Statistically, everybody is down. And I can't look at, you know, I would go back to Mike Leake as the most improved player on the team, if you include pitching in that. But on the on the offensive side, the Reds just have nobody that, that has stepped up and improved over their statistics of last year. 
other than Jay Bruce, but it's marginal. I mean, he, he's he's been solid the last two years, so you can't say he's most improved or the biggest surprise or however you want to put it. So uh, that's a that's a good question, and I, I would go back to Mike Leake. I don't think anybody would would think he is, would be pitching as well as he is pitching right now. You know, as far as the Indians are concerned, I've really got three of these guys, and it, it's tough for me to pick one. I think I think. Uh, Cody Allen out of the bullpen has been an, a real, real pleasant surprise. He could be the closer in training for this ball club and has pitched some good baseball at a time when uh, Vinny Pistano and Chris Perez were down on the DL. Of course, there's always Jason Kipnis. Uh, I don't think anybody envisioned him playing as, as great a baseball as he has. And i got to put in there Mark uh, Ubaldo Jimenez. I, I think Jimenez has really, even though his record doesn't show it, he has battled. Uh, I've got to give the guy credit. He keeps the team in a ball game and gives them a chance to win. So I think if I was uh, had a gun to my head or I was backed up against the wall, I think I'd probably say that Ubaldo Jimenez is going to be my most pleasant surprise for the Indians so far in this first first half. What's your worst surprise on the Reds? I think Todd Frazier. He's, he's had a big night tonight. He's had a couple hits and drove in three runs, but that's that's been the, the very wide exception to him. Uh, and I think you, you can't say it's a surprise or underperforming uh, in left field because you, you lose your number four hitter. But Todd Frazier, uh, he has so many holes in that swing. And, you know, if you throw one up there at 88 miles an hour down the middle, he'll hit, hit it a long way. But major league pitchers don't do that very often. Uh, I think the Reds have to make a decision if he's going to be your long-term solution at third. Uh, he needs to go under uh, some hitting tutelage between now and next year. Well, as far as the Indians are concerned, I, I, again, I've got two players that I, I kind of juggled on this. One was the, um, I, I guess the, catching of Carlos Santana, how he has just been downgraded from a decent catcher to just a pathetic catcher. And on the other hand, I think Jan Gomes, uh, the way that he's caught and the way that he's hit, along with Ryan Rayburn, I, I guess the, uh, the you know, I've got to look at those, those two players as a, as a good surprise, but I think the worst surprise is probably Carlos Santana and the way he has just uh, gone downhill as far as he has as a catcher. Uh, you I'm know, going to throw funny. this out for both. Oh, go ahead, Mark. Well, I was just going to say, picking up on your comment, uh, Santana, when, when the Reds played the Indians, I was shocked about his his fundamentals, uh, just blocking the plate and, and his throwing and the way he handled himself behind the plate. I mean, he, he misses balls, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was I thought maybe he just had a bad series, bad four games, but uh, it sounds as if that what I saw was something you've been seeing all year. Yeah, he, he's got poor fundamentals behind the plate. I, I've never seen a catcher, Mark, get hit so much like he does. And, and he always drops down to one knee to catch a, catch a ball. And he, he just doesn't seem to have good mechanics. And, and his arm is strong behind the plate, but he just doesn't throw out many runners. He's only throwing out 11% of runners this year, and that's, that's pretty bad. Um, I want to throw this out to both clubs. We've got two more awards to hand out. Who do you think is the manager of the year so far between these two ball clubs? Is it Francona or is it Dusty Baker? No, that's that's not even close. I mean, Terry Francona has taken a team that was supposed to be middle of the pack 
and moved him into first place, and Dusty Baker has taken a team that was supposed to be in first place and has got them firmly ensconced in the middle of the pack. And uh, his, you know, Dusty Baker, uh, I've been a supporter, as you know, of Dusty Baker's for a long time, but you just wonder sometimes if, I don't, he, he seems so uh, unanimated this year. Maybe it's his health. I mean, this guy went through a stroke last year, and, uh, you know, you can't come back from that sometimes as quickly as you would like. But this team right now is boring, it's unexcited, uh, it's unemotional, and I picked them for third place, you know, back in, in, back in March, uh, but it wasn't for the reasons that have, that have come up. And I, I just wonder if Dusty's the guy that can kick this team collectively in the butt and take them down to, uh, take them to the playoffs. Well, this is the second time you've done it during the during this segment, Mark. You've anticipated my next question. Uh, both of us predicted the Reds and the Indians. You predicted the Reds to finish third. I predicted the Indians to finish third. Do you still agree with that prediction for the Reds? Yes, I, I did, but I made that prediction on the assumption that if you finished third, you would not make the playoffs. And the Reds could finish third and make the playoffs, the Indians could finish second and not make the playoffs. That's right. Now, I, I predicted the Indians to finish third behind Kansas City and Detroit. I, I actually don't think – I'm not going to uh, agree with my prediction. I think the Indians are probably going to finish in second place, although I am going to throw this stat out before we round out the show. Last year at this time, the Indians were 43-39. and 39. Right now they're 44 and 38, a game ahead of where they were a year ago. They finished 25 and 55 through the rest of the season, Mark, to finish 68 and 94. Hopefully they've uh, done a little more improving since that time. And the same thing happened the year before that, back in 2011. Remember, yeah. they, they were in first place, I think, into June. Yep, so hopefully that isn't going to happen. What do the Reds got coming up this week, Mark, the 4th of July week? Well, they got the Giants uh, here for four games, and uh, I, I, I haven't looked at the schedule beyond that, but they, they have four games against a team they should beat. The Giants are not playing well. The Reds are ahead 8-1 to one in a rain delay right now. But uh, I tell you, the, this team right now is not capable of winning the division and uh, if I were an Indians fan, I'd be much more excited about their chances uh, than Reds fans right now. Well, just to give you the rest of the Reds schedule, they've got Seattle this weekend coming to Cincinnati, and then they go to Atlanta next Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. The Indians, they're off tonight. They're in Kansas City for a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday afternoon game, and then they come home and face the Tigers on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday afternoons, and then Monday night. So it should be a very interesting week. And we'll talk to you next Monday night at 9 o'clock here on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Mark, thanks a lot. Have a happy 4th. Same to you, David. Enjoy the fireworks. Hey, don't forget our ultimate sports talk show on this Thursday night is not going to be on. Since it's the 4th of July, we're going to take a week off. We'll be back on July 11th. For Mark Donahue, our thanks to you for listening tonight. We'll be back next Monday night at 9 o'clock with the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Enjoy your 4th of July, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell. Good night, everybody.